I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't realize what a great foundation it would give me to life by being able to be, you know, set goals, be clear on what you want in life. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking to A-game property founder and buyer's advocate Jim Malmatinas, whose upbringing and hard work led him to huge success. Learning how to start saving when he was just 13 years old, earning $4 an hour, set up the discipline needed to become a successful developer and achieve financial freedom. Martinez is a buyer's advocate and property developer for Melbourne. He gives us an overview of his day both professionally and personally. My typical day, I've got to say, is so uh, varied day by day, which is what I like. So part of my business is property development. So I run my own property development projects and that takes 25% of my time where I'm liaising with builders, architects, land surveyors, depending on what stage the development's at, is who I'm dealing with. So that's sort of one part, but also coach and help other clients find development sites as part of the business side of things and then the second part is pure buyer's advocacy so i buy homes and investment properties for clients with everything with an investment focus if you like so coming you know going back to that um, property development site to a home to investment property I've got two kids as well, so you know I'm pretty active, hands-on dad. So I think ultimately for me, you know, I live the life of my dreams. My two passions in life are property and people, so I get to do that on a daily basis. And I also have a life of freedom where I can choose the hours that I work. Yes, they're they're long, but they're flexible. So you know, I can you know duck in and out and pick my kids up if I need to from the office and and just be present in their lives because you know they're. At, you know, fundamental years, right? Pre-teen and a teen I've got. And so just being available for them and, you know, serving people, living my passion is key. Being a family man, he knows how important it is to spend time with your kids. So my daughter just turned 15. So we're definitely going through the year nine um, teenage years, but she's beautiful. I've got to say, she still likes hanging out with her old dad for now. So we'll see how long that goes for. Um, and my son's a preteen, so he's about to turn 11 in a couple of weeks. And yeah, so I'm still this hero, you know, at this point, again, once the next few years hit and he hits puberty, who knows how long that will last. But, you know, for me, it's, it's about just being present in their lives as much as I can right now. And I can having my own business, obviously, there's that flexibility to design your life around being there for them during school hours, after school hours, and then, you know, having the flexibility of working more on the weekends and times when they're sleeping, like at five in the morning or, you know, eight at night. Um, So, it's good from that point of view. That's great. Well, Jim, let's get to know you personally. Firstly, share with with the listeners, where did you grow up? Good question. So, I grew up in the um, lower socioeconomic part of Melbourne, so southeastern suburbs in a Greek migrant family. So, not your typical Greek migrant family like you see in my big fat Greek wedding where, you know, the dad buys everyone a house um, before they get married. Uh, Definitely wasn't that kind of situation for me. Um, Yeah, ultimately, it was around, you know, just getting there. My parents were quite sort of risk averse and so, you know, it was just making what you could do and, and, and go from there. Mal Martinez explains to us how his upbringing shaped his approach to life today. 
giving him the attitude needs to save and succeed. I think for us it was um, it was pretty tight um, in terms of just having access to things. I remember that you know all the things because I had quite a lot of Greek cousins who were really affluent and you know their parents owned fish and chip shops and they were doing really well. And and my parents, you know, we were living sort of week to week in terms of, you know, food that was available and that kind of thing. And I remember a pivotal moment, Ty, like as a young boy when you're 13 and you sort of can't buy the clothes that you like. And I had a cousin that was two years older than me and he was really into basketball, which I personally am not. No offence to any basketball fans out there. I've got into it with my kids, but it wasn't my thing when I was young. Um, and his clothes perfectly fit me. So I remember my mum, you know, handing down his clothes and be going to school wearing these basketball clothes, thinking there's got to be a better way. So I just got my first job when I was at, uh, 13 years of age at a fish and chip shop. And it wasn't my parents' fish and chip shop. It was just some <laughs> random family, but everyone assumed it was mine because I had that Greek background. And that just allowed me the freedom really to, at 13, be able to buy the things I liked, you know, and it was mainly around clothes. It was around even silly things like food treats and stuff like that, you know, chocolate biscuits or whatever it would be, just stuff that you just don't get normally. And yeah, so clothes, and I really was into music. So I spent pretty much all my money on clothes, food and CDs when it came to that sort of things and and also personal development stuff. I remember one big moment um, I saved up for a CD set for a personal development speaker at 13. It was a 250-buck um, CD set of 14 CDs. And it took me a long time to save that $4 an hour to get to $250. Uh, but I did, and I listened to all 13 CDs, and I, I still have them to this day. That was many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, it, I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't realize what a great foundation it would give me to life by being able to, be, you know, set goals, be clear on what you want in life, um, you know, have goal books, visualize them, feel them and create them. And and for me, that's been fundamental in my life ever since I was 13. I've been doing that. And, and that's really now that I look at those goal books and reflect on them, um, pretty much everything in them in those early years has come true. And they weren't all money-based. Um, a lot of them were family-based um, in terms of finding my beautiful wife and life partner and the family that I've created, along with the property journey that I've experienced um, through the development. So yeah, property, the gold books do work and I still do it to this day. I figured don't stop something great that's working. That Tony Robbins CD set was a highlight of what was otherwise quite a challenging time growing up for Mal Martinez. Look, I can't say there was a lot of fond memories for me growing up, to be honest, just in, in a whole. I think it was pretty much a challenge. I went to Cleveland High, which was funnily enough ranked one of the worst uh, performing schools in all, all of Australia since before it was knocked down. Um, it was in quite a rough neighbourhood in Dandenong. So many people in, in, in Melbourne would be familiar with the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. So not a really pleasant environment, a lot of gangs and it was just really rough. But, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for that experience because now I can look back and say that made me the resilient person that I am now that helped me get to where I am. But I've got to be honest with you, Ty, if you asked me that 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't, as, <laughs> wouldn't have been as grateful as I am now. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think high school for me and even primary school, I think just you know childhood in general was, was a challenge um, through a lot of different things. But you know, ultimately, it was 
it was what I was meant to live through to make me that resilient person to achieve what I've achieved, not only, you know, from my property portfolio and the monetarily, monetary side of things, but more important to me right now is family and the love and connection I have with my kids and my beautiful wife um, and also some really amazing friends. I've got, I had one best friend from high school and, you know, we're, we're still in touch to, to this day. We're best friends and, We've, you know, my wife and I have christened both of her children and that's probably the one takeout that I'll take from high school is that one friend that stuck by me through all those, you know, challenging times. I think there's a lot of gangs in my school in particular, so gangs sort of targeting groups of people. I wasn't a victim, to be honest, because I was able to be smart enough to avoid fighting because that was never my thing. So I was, I was always a good talker, which is why I do what I do now, you know. I, I was able to talk my thing, my way out of a lot of things. But I think, you know, ultimately it comes down to just having, um, you know, that parent sort of support and protection when, when you're younger. And, you know, where we grew up and how we grew up was just that little bit different. And I think ultimately, you know, I, I look back at my parents and they did a great job. They did the best job that they could do, you know, the best job that they knew how to do. I think every parent has that that wish and dream for their children. I want to do the best I can. And they did. They did the best they knew how to do. Um, and they definitely were one of my best teachers in life because they taught me exactly what I didn't want to be in life when I grew up as a parent. Um, they were very risk averse and very fear driven. And, you know, they were beautiful, loving people. But ultimately for me, when I'm raising my children, I really wanted, I didn't want to raise fear driven um, risk averse kids. I wanted them to be resilient and to be empowered to to know that ultimately anything that you want, if you're clear on what that is, you can have it. And so generationally, I wanted that to stop with my family and I'm the eldest of four boys, so my brothers and I, um, I wanted that to stop. And by meeting a great and loving partner who you know, had a, a lovely childhood and were able to come together and really create that family unit, which it's so important. I think ultimately, you know, the property stuff and the money stuff is, is a great thing, Ty, don't get me wrong, but there's more to life than money for me. It's it's always been about passions and dreams and, and the money's been a journey to help get to that. And it's great, right? Everyone loves the nice houses and the nice cars and, and the investment property portfolios and all that kind of stuff. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate it. Um, but it's not the only driver for me. Mal Martinez explains why his parents were so protective while he and his brothers were growing up. He also gives us his takeaways from those experiences and transitioning into uni and the workforce. Look, my parents were very, um, like I said, fear-driven, risk-averse. It was about getting a good job, staying in that job. Um, and so they were both factory workers um, over the course of their lives until there was periods where they couldn't work for, for various reasons. So they instilled in us that, you know, we should just get get one good job and stay with that job for the rest of your life. And, you know, even sometimes the smallest risk that I would take like going to uni, like it wasn't expected of me to go to uni. Some migrant families really push for their children to go to uni. My parents didn't. So I went to uni out of my own accord. I was the first and only one in my family to, to do that, but it was just a drive for me. I really wanted to just to, you know, just to get better and improve myself from a really young age. Like I said, from 13, it started of my first foray into growing my mind and that personal development side with those CDs. And, you know, I never looked back. So ultimately with my parents, it was everything that I did was 
you know, they'd almost try and talk me out of it. So I remember buying my first investment property. They were like, well, why don't you just buy your first house so that you can live in that when you get married for the rest of your life? And I remember when I did my first property development project, my dad was almost, he was so fearful for me because of the amount I had to borrow to make it happen. He was actively trying to talk me out of it. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing that I was able to, you know, because your parents are big influence on your life. Um, but I always took their opinion on board and I listened to it, but I just never did what they wanted. I was able to take it on board. It still made me very fearful though and made me overthink things because they're your parents. At the end of the day, that's all you know. Um, but I was able just to rise above that sort of thinking and take those risks. And I think when I met my partner as well, my beautiful wife, she having that team dynamic together, we, you know, we did a lot of the things that we've done together. Matt, I remember um, finishing uni. I finished my undergrad in, I got a BA from Monash University in management and marketing because that was always what I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be a marketer. And property was always this dream of mine since I was a kid. I, you know, I remember having an exercise book. I was really into floor plans and I really loved that side of things. So I was 10 years old and I'll never forget sitting at 10 years old and just designing floor plans. Um, and then I remember going, getting into year nine and thinking, I'll be an architect. That's what I want to do. Started doing graphics and realized that I'm not really good at angles and CAD and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that dream's not going to happen. But the first investment property and then the following properties that I developed after that, I hand drew those floor plans and I gave them to the architect. And it was such a beautiful 360 moment for me, a full circle moment to say, you know, Whilst I couldn't do that dream, I did it in another way where I could still hand draw it, just give it to the experts. Um, so going back to your question around the first property, um, I was 22, first job, I was a temp and I remember I really wanted to get into the property market as soon as possible. I had this burning desire since I was just a young kid. I just knew that it was a way to build wealth. And I don't know how I knew that because my parents definitely weren't driving that in me, I think, you know, seeing other people do it, seeing relatives do it, having it as a dream, having the passion for property from a young child. Um, I remember being permanent and just, sorry, being uh, a temp when I first started my job as a customer service operator in an international freight company. And I, rem and I remember yeah, saying, I really want to be permanent because I need to get a, a mortgage. And, you know, and it took six months of me hounding them and doing my best absolute work so that they wouldn't want to lose me to uh, make myself permanent because obviously you can't get a mortgage until you're a permanent employee. And yeah. And so, you know, at 22, I was really pushing to get a loan. And there's not a lot of 22 year olds that want a mortgage that early. They're still out there. A lot of my mates were still out there partying and I'm sitting there paying off a mortgage and I, was, I would still go out, but not to the extreme that they would. During his young adult life, Malmatinas had to work hard to get himself through his university years, juggling several jobs and studying simultaneously. I worked throughout the whole time. I needed to support myself ultimately. I mean, my parents, you know, gave me shelter, which was amazing, but they really couldn't afford much more and I had to contribute to help them as well because at certain point, points they weren't working. So I always had a job. Um, I had, at one point, I had three jobs um, going through uni. So 
fish and chip shops was my thing. I ended up becoming a master of fish and chip shop. Not that it's a great job, especially I've got to say in summer, it's probably one of the worst jobs. You're dealing with hungry people um, in a really hot environment. And especially on Good Friday, people would be waiting an hour and a half for their fish and it wasn't fun. Um, but I had a few jobs at working at different fish and chip shops. I became like the manager, the big manager of a fish and chip shop and, you know, got three different gigs, which was good. And then I remember at the age of 19, so, you know, a year into uni, I thought maybe there's some other jobs I can delve into because it was great. I was with the one family who, you know, were buying a lot of different shops, but then I moved into Video Easy and that was such a change. I was so excited. I became the assistant manager immediately at a big Video Easy shop where I grew up. And it was such a different dynamic. You know, I was serving people that were happy because they were looking for their entertainment for the night they'd eaten already. So they were satisfied and they were asking me for recommendations on what film should we watch tonight. And it was just the most fun job. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, we could watch all the previews that would come just come off cinema before anyone else could. Um yeah, and it was, a, it was a really great experience. But I think coming from a fish and chip shop, really hard work, kind of hard physical labor environment to, to scanning videos and stocking shelves and cleaning some tapes occasionally and, you know, obviously running the reports and that side as a manager. It was a very pleasant experience, I would say, compared to uh, where I started. But again, I think it's a good foundation to start, sometimes start at the bottom and work your way up. It just teaches you that resilience. Yeah, there's no going the other way around. Definitely it was the one, the one way back. I'll just never forget this moment. I think I was about 15 years old and, you know, I was at the front of the fish and chip shop, so serving people, which was the, the promoted kind of job. But you'd have to peel potatoes occasionally too because that's how you made chips. So there was a mach machine that peeled potatoes, but all the potato peels would become a froth and they'd go into this box and you'd have to carry it out into the dump master and it would smell like a very putrid smell. I remember one day the box broke. And all this feeling fell on the ground. And I was about two meters from the dump, dump master. And I, would sit, I was on my hands and knees picking, scraping it all off and putting it thinking, this is a real coming to God moment, mate. If you don't get strong over this, you know, it doesn't get any worse at this point. You're 15 years old. All your mates are around. They can see what you're doing. It was quite, you know, when you're 15, it's so important what people think of you. And I was thinking, here I am. But you know what? I think, you know, looking back now, you think, wow was a great experience and I want my kids to have maybe not that severe an experience but it's just so important for them to have you know experiences and me not to spoon feed them the success that I've had I really want them to go through you know and my daughter now just turned 15 which is a legal age to, to get a job and she'll be getting a job you know she's applying out to a few jobs now and, and she doesn't need to get a job but it's important for her development her learning her resilience to earn money To fulfill his dream, Mel Martinez had to succeed in each job he took out of uni, developing properties while working hard in the corporate world. I climbed the corporate ladder in that, in that first organization and then I had a passion for the pharmaceutical industry and there was a lot of people, you know, a lot of friends of mine that were in the pharmaceutical industry so I was lucky enough to, to get a job at um, one of the leading Australian pharmaceutical companies and I joined that and I, I worked there for quite a long time and I rose through the ranks into senior marketing management. I did my MBA with them as well. They, they funded that for me, which was a really great experience and a really great qualification to have a postgrad and an MBA in particular. So rose through the ranks and, and got into, um, you know, senior marketing management roles, which was a great achievement. But at the same time, every night 
I would come home to my wife, who was also an accountant and is now a leading accountant in her field, and we would talk about our property investment strategy every night. And that's when we'd both come alive because that's what we just loved. It was a passion from childhood, right? So we talk about, you know, the next investment property and the next project that we would do as a property development project. Um, but the one thing I think having my wife, which was a great experience, was that we were really conscious of numbers. And so, you know, strategically being able to, for us, the strategy was always, I wanted to live by the bay and have that dream house with, you know, the bay views and, and, and walking distance to the beach. That was always the end goal. And I literally property developed my way here. So, you know, there was multiple properties that I, you know, that started off with an asset base, quite a big one. And then I divested a few to be able to build this home at a really young age so that I could enjoy it while my kids were young versus having it when I was in my 60s. And, you know, really the kids are gone by then. So what am I going to do with it? Right. So, so yeah, so I built a really strong asset base early, divested a few properties, and then we built this home about seven years ago now. So my kids, we got in here when they were really young and it's just a great experience to be able to have this now while they're growing up so that they can use all the spaces. We live in an amazing Bayside location where, like I said, you know, I walk on the beach every morning. Um, that was always a dream from when I started writing those goal books when I was 13. As soon as he could, Mel Martinez began investing in property and kept working on his dream throughout his adult life. So we built up multiple properties in the early days. So in the 20s, we built up quite a few properties. From 22, we we're buying properties probably every two years. Um, and then we started in our 30s, we started prop early 30s was our first property development project. And that's when, you know, it all began. And I remember we had built a home, um, our first home when we got married in Roeville. So we bought land and we built this big 40 square home in between both parents. It was the right thing to do. You know, you had built-in babysitters, if you like, or they were close by, and it was this beautiful home that was ready to go. And um, But the dream was always the bay. So it got to a point where the trade-off was we had a trip to Hawaii. I remember my wife was 20 weeks pregnant with our second child. So I had a four-year-old. I had a wife that was 20 weeks pregnant. We had a trip to Hawaii. After living in Rover for seven years in that beautiful house, the baby's room was ready because the four-year-old had her own big girl bed. Um, went to Hawaii, came back, and we sold that house and we moved into a shack by the beach. But it was really, you know, a renovator's delight or a renovator's detonate, whichever you'd like to call it. But um, it had no heating, had no calling. Um, and I moved myself and my family into that at a time that probably wasn't opportune. You know, if you look back and you think, gee, opportunities don't come at the best time, they don't come at an easy time. And that was probably one of the most challenging times of my life, I've got to say. Um, doing that. So moving my whole family from this perfect house that was really ready to go from our second child's room was all set. He would have just sl slid into there and, you know, the cup was done, everything was beautiful. But yeah, this house that we moved into was really, it was really um, a dive. And the fact that it had no heading and cooling in winter was just a massive challenge. But I had an amazing supportive wife who was on the journey with me. So it wasn't me just saying, let's just do it. And it's the whole way. We agreed to do it for the future and where it would, you know, take us. But at the same time, it, you know, it was one of those big, challenging crossroads in life, not only from a property perspective, but also from a personal perspective. Because there was moments where, you know, it wasn't going well. You know, our builder at the time that we'd committed to went into liquidation. And, you know, I remember just thinking to myself, 
this is really, uh, you know, I have two choices. I, was, I remember I was lying in bed. I was literally living with possums. There was possums above my head. Um, I could hear them at night. I wasn't sleeping very well. And um, I really remember having a choice where this is a time when I can either just cave, you know, fold if you like and, and prove my parents right that taking risks is not a good thing or I could just stand up and fight and win. And it was a really tough lesson for me, but just, you know, as a man really for life kind of thing, not a life lesson as a husband and also as a father, I had to really step up because I was responsible for driving that. Even though my wife was very supportive, I drove it. And so, you know, I look back at that time now and there's been many, many times like that, but that was probably the first most pivotal time where you're thinking, this could go one or two ways and you got to choose which way it goes. And I chose to fight. And luckily, you know, we won and it became the best decision because it was really the foundation of a great asset base for us to continue to develop to get to this home now. As we touched upon in our previous episode, Mel Martinez's dream was to always live on the Bayside but his foray into that area of the market was anything but easy. That was the start of the Bayside journey. So the Bayside dream, if you like. So yeah, so from Roville in this beautiful, you know, 40 square house that was ready to go, we moved, we literally traded it in for almost the same purchase price um, for a two bedroom knockdown that was five minutes walk to one of the most beautiful Bayside beaches. So the beach walk was good. It was close to all the shops, the village, the cafes and the train station, but the home itself wasn't great so yeah i did spend a lot of time at the beach which is good um to get me through and we had to divest one or two to get you know to be able to set us up for that development side of things because we literally had to borrow you know at least i remember it was a million dollars back then to develop that side and that's a lot of money so we needed to you know, divest a couple of properties to be able to give us um the equity that we needed to to borrow more so, would you consider that moment that you just explained to me one of your worst moments in your whole journey, or was one that was even worse than that? Matt, absolutely. I think that was the, that was the time I, when I was sitting in bed with the possums above my head. When I thought, you know, I've got a four-year-old in a room, you know, cold. I had panel heaters that were sort of doing the job a little bit. I had my wife that was pregnant; she was probably thirty weeks at that stage, and you know, we'd invested some money with a builder and lost it, and. We were in no man's land. We just didn't know what the next step was. But the next step was either lose everything um, and, like I said, concede and give up because, you know, I was thinking, you know, at that when you go through those times, you sort of think you go into victim, victim mode at times and you think, gee, this is so hard, I can't do this, all that negative mind talk that happens to all of us. Um, but I think being a fighter from such a young age and having that childhood that I had just taught me that resilience that, you know, life is not always easy and it's through those tough times that great things happen. And if you can just hold on and just keep pushing through um, and choose to fight, like to actively choose to fight as hard as it is, good things come. And, you know, that's the choice that I made that that night. And I've never looked back because throughout the property development, there's been many property developments post that before we got to this one. And there's just in life in general, there's always something that will come up that's maybe not as severe as that, but there's always challenges that come up through property development. I'm sure you're familiar and other guests that you've had on as well. You know, you start digging those foundations and things come up, extra costs that you haven't budgeted for and, you know, issues with the bank, you know, subdivision issues with, 
you name the issue, I've experienced it. I mean, we're going through a development project right now and there's another issue that I'm dealing with. You know, I was dealing with it all morning today. But it's about trying to step back from the issue. You've got a good team around you, being creative and try and methodically work through all the different options and just leveraging the experts to help you because I don't know all the answers, but I employ a great deal of really smart people that do. So by working together with everyone, we come up with a really great solution or multiple solutions and we work through and come, then find the best one out of the lot. Tell us a little bit more what happened with that particular deal because you know, you're at that crossroads. I'm curious, how did you come out the end? Yeah, that's a really good question because it takes me back in time. That was you know 15 years ago. So that's when I first started developing. So it's been that long. So the, I remember the builder went into liquidation. We'd lost about $20,000 that we'd put down. We hadn't started building, but we, um, it was one of those deals where they designed the, the townhouses and they owned the rights to them. So, and that was the 20000 that we'd put down. So we were lucky that we were in that middle process or the early process because there was a lot of people that were midway through the process at either base or frame or even lockup stage that everything was frozen at that point. So I guess I'm grateful that we were really early. So we lost that $20,000 and we just lost time because we really had to go through the design phase again. So really going back to basics, I found, you know, I screened a few different architects, I found one, and then we started the process again on our own without relying on this sort of packaged deal company that does the design and the build for you. So we just went through that company, we designed the townhouses that we wanted. Um, again, you know, I had the floor plans anyway that I'd given to that building company because I drew them. And then the architect actually improved on them, which is obviously what they're paid to do. It's their area of expertise. And so then we went manually through the town planning process under, you know, ourselves as the real developers, as opposed to, you know, going through this company that was going to facilitate it all. And we got that all approved. Um, and then we found a builder, got the finance, started the build process. And it probably added, I think that whole journey added an extra year to the project than it needed to be. So time is money. It cost a bit of money. Um, it cost a lot of stress. <laughs> and it cost a year worth of time. But I must say, Ty, I think that was one of the most profitable early projects and that's what really helped to get us here to this to this home that we're living in now and, and all other properties that we have because there was two choices really at that point was to sell and lose money and walk away and, you know, buy another property either, you know, further out and not in that great location that we're in or to find the solution. And I didn't, that night when I made that decision, I didn't know what the solution was. I just started to cons ask questions, get curious, talk to different people, friends, architects, all different people. And that's how I figured out what the actual process was because I had no idea. You know, and that's the great thing with what I, you know, offer my clients now is that ultimately when people don't know what they're doing, the learnings that I've had over 15 years, if I can shorten people's property learning journey and add value to them, so that they don't have to experience the kind of stress that I did. Um, that really, you know, that really gives me satisfaction and adds value to my life as well. Mal Martinez explains how his greatest challenge turned into his greatest success in teaching moment. It was still a massive stretch and that's why we needed to divest things. And so the aha moment was really, it just tied back to the beginning and like I said, the moments that keep happening throughout every development. Whenever a problem arises, it's about 
yes, you have a panic attack and you're stressing that moment when it's presented to you, but it's about taking some time, walking away and really thinking it through methodically around what are the potential options? Who do I need to consult with to try and come up with a solution? And then come up with multiple solutions and work them through. Sometimes there's just no solution. I haven't encountered that yet through every single property development project or property investment project. There's been so many, I can't tell you, where you think, I don't know what we're going to do here. It's not going to work. But you just take it, you walk away, take some time and you work through it. And there's always a way. There's always a way. Always a way is probably the takeout. So I think it's just that persistence and the knowing that it's going to be okay and then the consultation with the experts and pushing people. Because ultimately, you know, if you challenge people, they want to rise to the occasion. And that's, you know, from my corporate training, obviously I was quite senior. I worked with CEOs. I was always pushed. Um, So I learned how to do the same and always in a nice way. But it's about, you know, you've got a great team of really intelligent people and they present you with one solution, but that doesn't work. It's about, okay, well, we need other solutions because this is not working and we need to make this work. So that's the problem. Come back to me with a couple of solutions. Just curious about the current property that you're living in, which is your home here. How long did something like that take you to develop and, and maybe share with us, you know, what, what happened along the journey? I'd be curious to know. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Look, it was only a year build, which was great. We had a, we had, yeah, we had a good builder, which was good. I mean, we put a pool in, so the pool had to go in first. There were some issues with the pool where they started to build the shell. So the first issue, as soon as we started to build the shell, a meter out from where it needed to go. So that was a disaster. They had to redo that. But that was at their cost. It was just literally me being on top of the building supervisor and figuring that out before anyone else found it. So there were so many different hurdles along the way. Because we're so close to the bay, there was foundation issues, so a lot of extra costs there. But I guess the key to that was that I was on top of it every single step of the way. I'm the project manager of the builder and everything that happens. And so I was doing that, you know, um, at the time while I was working a senior corporate role, which was extremely stressful because ultimately, you know, I have this great role and full-time job um, that I needed to, to perform in. And we know senior level corporate roles are, are pretty demanding. So coming home in the evening and keeping on top of, this build was probably one of the most stressful times in my life. Um, but I think, you know, what I've learned through it all is, and now, you know, I think once we have built it and moved in is that it's about more than just the house and the wealth and the rest of it. For me now, th- this is done. The dream has been achieved in terms of the home. You know, I plan on living here while my children grow up and if we need to downsize in the future, we can do that. But ultimately, I'm not looking at doing more high-end developments. You know, I'm you know looking at my future is around now my children. And so now you would think a typical, if you looked at the next five years, a typical, you know, Greek dad or Greek um, family man would be thinking, oh, next five years I really have to set my children up and, and buy them a house, like my big fat Greek wedding that I referred to before. Didn't happen to me and it's not going to happen to my children because even though I I can do that for them. I don't, I don't want to and I won't. And it's not because I'm being stingy or, you know, I, I don't want to do it. I do. I want to help them and support them. But more than anything, I want to coach them on how that they can achieve it themselves. And I, I want them to learn some of the lessons that I had to learn so that when they get to those life moments where, you know, they're either going to fold or they have to choose to fight, 
I want them to choose to fight every single time and to win. And look, they've been lucky enough to have an amazing kind of life that I never had. And so sometimes when you have that, it's not as easy to teach your children resilience, but you know, by being present as a parent with my wife and I, our children are our main focus, especially in these really critical years of 11 and 15. I've got a preteen and a teenager, as I said. So the next five years for me in property in general is coaching them through how to source their own property, what to do to buy their first home. And, you know, the beginning is my daughter having her first job. So doing that. And the second part is, you know, sharing my learnings with my clients because, you know, in the early days, I didn't realize how valuable my 15 years worth of property development experience and then 20 odd years of um, investment buying has, you know, generated so many learnings and hacks along the way that people can fast track by using an advocate. I mean, just yesterday, I signed up someone in the military who has no idea on where to buy and what to buy and, you know, the research and the numbers behind it. And I can offer him that and he can be hands off. So there's so much in that when you consult an expert that's sort of been there, done that versus someone that's just looking at a spreadsheet. It's it's really amazing what you've just shared there and so many lessons learned just even just hearing what you've shared there and I think it's the same thing with, um you know, if you give someone a fish, they'll only be able to eat for the day but if you teach them how to fish, you know, they'll be able to do it for the rest of their life. Mate, I should have used that saying but that was a really good one that you used. It's so true, um, you know, and my kids, you know, we joke about it at times that, you know, they're not going to get a house for me and they say, oh, dad, that's a really good one, that one and they've seen the whole journey and, you know, I guess by seeing it happen and they obviously have, now have a love of property as well by seeing what their mum and I have been able to do and accomplish. Um, they go, oh, that one would be so cool. I go, look, possibly I'll let you live in it rent-free rent for five years while you save up your own deposit, but there's no way you're just getting it. I'd rather donate it. Look, in all honesty, I'd rather donate it to charity than to just spoon feed it to my children. I just, it's not my mentality in what to do. And your quote, about you know the fish and eating for a day versus a lifetime is is perfect. You know I'm giving them all the tools to set them up for a great life of them achieving things and that satisfaction of growing and being that person that they want to be. And they won't get there if I spoon feed them. In his professional life, Mal Martinez focuses on his clients personal motivations in order to make the best investments for them. I've got to say I'm getting goosebumps as I say this, but um, we bought a property, you know, I bought a few properties this month, but the last property I bought was for a family and we were looking for quite a while because they had quite a stringent list. But last Friday, we went and did the photo taking ceremony and their children got to see the house for the first time and they hadn't seen it. And that moment for me was really profound. You know, I get my greatest satisfaction by sharing the learnings, going through the process with clients that aren't really clear on what they want in their homes. Um, and so I'll always look at things from an investment lens to say, even if it's your primary place of residence, I want this to double in 10, 12 years. So let's buy strategically and get a really clear plan on obviously your requirements in a home and a, a suburb. And then I'll go out and source them. And I look mainly for pre-markets and off-market opportunities because that's where there's less competition um, and we can secure properties at, you know, at a more competitive price. Um, and then obviously having that negotiation expertise and being a licensed agent, we can negotiate with selling agents quite well because we're both professionals at the end of the day and we share information. So I think for my clients, the value add is just being able to share 
that knowledge that I've built up, which I didn't realize in the early days what I was learning would lead me here. Um, but now that it has, and even after Friday's experience, we were there for an hour because we just stayed and just relished the moment so much of putting the sticker on, walking through the house and just seeing the looks on the kids' faces and picking their rooms. That was the most rewarding part of my whole week. So, you know, doing that for clients and, you know, even investment buyers, for, for them, it's all about building wealth. So there's not as much emotion. That was an emotional buy, but it's still a strategically good buy from an investment focus. That property will definitely double in 12 years. And I said to them, we'll be in touch. Um, so I'll see it double, you know, because they're only, um, they're in Mentone. So they're only three Ks for me. So a lot of my clients become neighbors and I see them on the beach nearly every morning. <laughs> so it's very interesting, I've got to say, but yeah, ultimately, it's that and, and with the investment buyers, that's another passion as well because, you know, just yesterday as I was saying, I, I onboarded a young guy who's only 25 and he's buying his second investment property but just had no idea what to do, where to go, what to buy. So I can crunch and look at all the suburbs and look at the data and, you know, put forward some, some recommendation based on history. I mean, I'm not a financial advisor by any stretch but I can look at information and look at what things have done, property types as such and put forward recommendations and then ultimately it's up to the, the clients to make the decision. Um, and then they buy great assets that will grow and they'll come back again next year and buy another one. That's excellent. And is that the kind of strategy that you've been applying yourself that you also share with your clients or is it slight, is it a little bit different because you, you've had 15, 20 years of experience in property development and it's obviously led to where you are today to be able to buy a dream home and achieve the lifestyle that you want. Is that something similar to what I guess the clients are also learning from you as well? Ty, really good question. I think my service is always catered to what my clients' needs are. So if I have a, a client that's about to retire and needs cash flow, then you know I put forward three different strategies. You can either go capital growth, which is what I focused on and how I built my wealth over time, but you need serviceability for capital growth kind of focus strategies. You get more growth, but you need to sometimes contribute. So that serviceability element's key. And I've obviously had great incomes over the years in the early years with my wife's income and my income to be able to do that. And that's not for everybody. But if you're near retirement, say you're in your mid fifties, you look, you need more cash flow positive properties so that they give you that cash flow that you need in retirement. That still have a capital growth element, but there's not so much. And at the moment, what I'm doing is, you know, in Melbourne in particular, we've identified five zones that have cash neutral or slightly cash positive aspects to them, but they're mainly capital growth focused. So they still can look after themselves, but they're going to grow almost as if you were just going a complete capital growth strategy. So I guess the executive summary to everything I've said is that I put forward all the different strategies to my clients. I put forward what my recommendation is, but also take their needs and their situation on board. And they decide, you know, what's going to work best for them. I mean, just two weeks ago, we bought a property development site um, in Hampton. So a Bayside, Bayside suburb next to Brighton in Melbourne. Um, same sort of thing. You know, these are first time developers and they didn't know what to look for in a site. And so I was able to make, you know, there were some tree elements there that were quite risky. So I made sure that we explored the trees. I worked with council to see, you know, what kind of houses we could get on on site um, but it was an amazing opportunity it was a full house five minutes walk to the beach and the train station and all the shops and you know i bought it in 48 hours from when the agent listed it no one even saw it before i did so they were super happy clients from sydney um, wanting to invest in melbourne and ultimately they don't just get the expertise of me finding them an off-market property and buying it at a great price but they get the expertise of buying something that they can build you know they wanted to build a duplex so 
that was their objective and that's what we go for. So every single client's needs are different. It's not about me telling you as a client what to do. It's about understanding what you want to do and how I can best help you get there. Yep, absolutely. That's great. Now, let's jump over and talk a little bit about resources and say mentors. As you said, you grew up um, when you first at 13, you had a fantastic mentor that was through CDs, Tony Robbins. And uh, from there, you, you helped you set goals. But along your journey, how did you develop all those skills and learn from your property development? Did you have any specific resources that you accessed or any particular mentors in that side of things? From a, a property development perspective, I worked with a really good bunch of architects along the way, land surveyors, um, builders. I work with many builders and now I've got a, a certain builder that I just exclusively work with who doesn't take on any new clients now. He's just got a bank of developers that he works with. So I don't quote my jobs anymore and I think a lot of my learnings has come with surrounding myself with really talented people. Um, as I said, I think numbers are a key thing that people miss out on and I have a really talented wife that helps me in that regard as well. Look, I've got to be honest with you, Ty, I was always the big picture man from the, in the early days and, you know, I should say, honey, that's a great idea but when we look at the numbers, they don't really stack up. So, But now she's trained me to be <laughs> really focused on the numbers over many, many years and luckily, we had that because I've seen so many people sort of fail just because of the number side of things. So you can buy because you get wrapped up in the emotion and the big picture of saying, oh, it's going to cost this much to do this, this much to do that. But you don't actually think about all the cost involved in the process. And that's what I understand is costing it all out for you so you know what the end game looks like um, and what your actual ROI is. And so, you know, I'll give you an example is a recent project that I just supposed to start building a month ago but we're going through some issues again that we're working through and apparently today is the day so the site's been scraped it's been set out fence has been put up it's all ready to go um but we bought that um site with plans for four units and i just didn't think they were viable so i costed them out and they weren't viable so i went back into council with three and they're a lot more viable so I think, you know, when you're borrowing $3 million to do a site and you're only going to make 200000 the ROI on that's not very good. So, you know, by redesigning them and maximizing the block and what we can get and having three standalone street-fronted units in a really great Bayside suburb, you know, it was going to give us a great return. But it also fulfills my passion because it all goes down to that for me. I'm passionate about the Bay. I only develop by the Bay. So for me, it's all around the water, living here and developing by the water. And ultimately, I want to live here and I want to make it more affordable for other people that want to live here. Great. Well, let's jump into a bit of um, further mindset stuff because I know we've talked a little bit about that side is, I guess, what what do you think has been sort of the best advice that you've received over this journey that, you know, somebody's passed on to you or you've learned from someone? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I remember in the early days, I was just so gung-ho and just always on the go. I really had something to prove because of my childhood and where I've come from. I really wanted to prove to my parents that, you know, I could do this and that you can take risks and get ahead. But I just was missing out on living because I was just so focused on the destination and not the present. And so the best advice I remember, it was from an, a pharmaceutical, when I was a pharmaceutical rep, um, an ex-pharmaceutical rep who was a lot older than I was and had gone through different things in life. He, says, he just said, Jim, you've really got to stop and smell the roses. And it links back to my favorite all-time book by Eckhart Tolle, which is The Power of Now. 
And it's about this present moment, you know, like me and you right now, we're here and I'm just right here with you versus thinking about the next meeting that I've got and, you know, the agent that I've got to see later and the day's going to go till eight o'clock today, but I'm not stressing and thinking about all that stuff. I'm just living right now in this moment. And I'm not even stressing about some things didn't go great yesterday. They're done. It's over. It's about when you can truly be present with your children, with your family, with business, amazing things happen. You know, when you're in that flow of life and you're truly there, that's where the gold is. To cap off his wisdom, Mel Martinez shares with us what he would have said to him 10 years ago and speculates about the road ahead. I think I would just say, you know, believe in yourself more, back yourself more, you know, you're on the right track and just keep going. I think my big journey is I'll continue with my um, development side of the business. You know, I think for me, that's a passion project, if you like. It's still profitable, but there's, you know, a lot of love in that. Um, But a big part of it is growing the advocacy arm of the business and just really sharing those learnings with people because seeing the outcomes that we can achieve for people in such a short period of time. I mean, I've had people come to me after looking for a home for three years and we found them something off market in four and a half weeks. And, you know, that lady, I remember her, it was three months ago. She was crying on the phone when she called me as a prospect customer. And then to achieve that outcome, I mean, she got me teary. You know, that's I'm all heart. So I just, I really, you know, connect with people and empathize with them. And so, when I go through that journey with people, it's just an amazing outcome. So really, that's what I want to keep doing because at this point in life, it's really about being present for my children and being there to support them and sharing all the learnings that I've had with customers to help them, but at the same time, continuing with my development side of things. Well, Jim, you've achieved so much, especially in your lifetime, You know those goals that you set when, when you're 13 years old and you've done amazing property journey and property development as well. How much do you think your success has been due to skill, hard work and intelligence and how much of it do you think has been due to luck? That is uh, an interesting question, that one. Um, Look, I personally think that, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get and the smarter you work, the luckier you get. So to be completely honest, I think, you know, luck is one of those things that, that comes when, you know, opportunity meets preparation. And so when you work really hard um, and smart, then you know, luck is part of that because opportunity is there and you're ready to leverage it. Thank you to Jim Mal Martinez, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.